0: Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. In this series of conversations, hosted by Calvin Institute of Christian Worship staff members, we invite you to explore connections between the public worship practices of congregations and the dynamics of Christian life and witness in a variety of cultural contexts, including places of work education, community development, artistic and media engagement, and more. Our conversation partners represent many areas of expertise and a range of Christian traditions, offering insights to challenge us as we discern the shape of faithful worship and witness in our own communities. Mitri Raheb is a theologian, public figure, widely published author— and for 30 years, Senior Pastor of Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem. In this episode, Rev. Raheb talks with John Whitfleet, Director of the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the worshiping community in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus.
1: What is my great joy today to be in conversation with Mitri Raheb, I'm speaking from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Mitri, you're speaking to us from Bethlehem in Palestine, correct? Correct. And we're recording this in September of 2020. Who could have imagined what this year would have brought for all of us? Could you say a little bit about what it has been like for your community in
2: Bethlehem,
1: especially with the experience of the COVID pandemic this year?
2: Yeah, actually, you know, the first cases of infection. With COVID nineteen in Palestine, were discovered in Bethlehem on March uh, on March fifth. So it was really a few days after uh, cases were discovered in uh, Washington State in the U.S. Okay, and uh, it seems that the virus came through tourist groups who were uh, staying in Bethlehem, and the Palestinian government uh, actually was able to react immediately by shutting down Bethlehem and declaring curfew. So we were in curfew for almost a month. And within this month, the pandemic was able to be contained fully. But we continued to be under lockdown for another like two months. So totally, in total, we were like 83 days under lockdown. You know, you can imagine... The first infection were announced like on the 5th of March in the morning, maybe by 10. All hotels were evacuated that same day Mm. uh, and that same evening we were put under, under curfew. Now for a city like Bethlehem, this pandemic is really a catastrophe. Because uh, Bethlehem as a city, because it's the birthplace of Christ, it lives on tourism. Uh, and uh, seventy-seven per- 70% of our economy is tourism, connected to tourism. And uh, 33,000 people in Bethlehem live on tourism. And so these people have been now without income for the last, like, almost six months now but the the problem is that tourism will not resume quickly, and so now people are take, talking that tourism will will really not come back really I mean in good numbers before 2024 mm, mm. what
1: a huge burden and calling for the Christian community then to respond to all of this what have been the the central themes and responses of uh, the Christian community. And I'm thinking of the churches there, but also the, uh, the university that, that you're a part of.
2: Right, uh, I guess for the, I mean, for the church and for the university, uh, first of all, we had quickly to adjust uh, and to start working online.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, we were really not trained to do that, but we had to respond quickly. And so uh, within two weeks, the church started doing the service online, and later even Bible studies. And for us at the uh, university, we were able within the first ten days to switch into uh, online teaching. So I think this was this was an, a major shift in the in the psyche for for people in the church and for people in the higher education department you know the whole concept of a church was built on community meeting in person around the holy communion suddenly all of that was not possible Mm. and uh, again this was really a shift you know usually uh, pastors and muslim sheikhs were always encouraging people to come to worship in uh, march they started telling people please don't come which is something unheard of for us at the university, it was a bit easier to give, especially the theoretical classes, but for the practical classes, they all had to be postponed until summer. And so we're able to do face-to-face in summer for smaller group all practical programs. Mm.
1: One of the things that we've noticed in so many different communities around the world is new creativity emerging out of the constraints of not being able to gather. And I'm wondering what some of the innovative or creative responses have been to try to carry out the mission of the church in circumstances that none of us would have ever wanted.
2: Yeah, I guess in terms of church, something which is really very important, I think, was that uh, suddenly the idea of community was not anymore just the local community, but it was the transnational community. So, during a service broadcast, I could see that, you know, my sister was following that from Austria. Mm. My sister-in-law was following the service from England. Mm. A Presbyterian pastor in Lebanon was following it from there. We had a former member living in Germany was tuning in from there. Uh, Friends from the U.S. were following us from there. So, suddenly... You know, that the Oikomene, Mm. uh, transnational community, suddenly was visible in a way that people really did not think about it before. Mm.
1: And it occurs to me that this very conversation that we're recording is another example of that, for which I'm extremely grateful. So thank you. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Now, in terms of the university, some of the creative things uh, I saw was, for example, I saw graduates in the film department shooting their own films, which is really, I mean, it was amazing, you know. Uh, one film I'm thinking about was about loneliness. Mm. You know, how to how to deal with the fact when you are locked in and you are, you know, you cannot even communicate, you cannot go out, et cetera. Powerful, short film, very powerful. Or another film uh, about the environment that suddenly... The birds were back, Mm. uh, you know, controlling the street and and the air. And uh, suddenly they were free because we were encroaching into their uh, habitat. Or uh, another uh, student started doing masks with Palestinian embroidery. Mm. Uh, Again, you know, trying to respond with creativity, you know, not to lose heart and hope, but you know, but to be proactive, et cetera. During the lockdown, as you mentioned, I was able to actually to edit three books and to finish uh, a major book that I, I wanted to write since many months. And I, I finished most of the research before, but I didn't have the time just to sit down and really write it. So I was able to finish that. So that's part, you know, of, I would say, creative response.
1: Absolutely. I've learned a great deal by beginning at least to read this book, The Double Lockdown, Palestine Under Occupation and COVID-19. That is was a very provocative, instructive title. Could you say a bit more about that particular book and what prompted you and your colleagues and others to uh, to put that together rather quickly after the onset of COVID, I believe? Right,
2: yeah. I mean, the situation in Palestine is different maybe than other places in the world uh, because we are unfortunately used to lockdowns by the Israeli occupation. I mean, curfews, you know, are part, unfortunately, often of our lives. Mm. Two of my books, actually, of my former books, I wrote when we were under curfew. Uh, The one book I wrote in '91 when Iraq invaded Kuwait, and during that war, we were under curfew. And so uh, I wrote that time my book, I'm a Palestinian Christian. And then later in 2001, when Bethlehem was besieged, uh, I wrote my book, Bethlehem Besieged. So we are used to being under curfew, under lockdown. And uh, so we wanted to share this double lockdown politically, as well as epidemically, basically, and to share stories so that people maybe can see how people in other parts of the world have been dealing with this and so on.
1: Yes. It reminds me of some of the discussions in the United States and some of us who have written about the twin pandemics in the United States, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the pandemic of structural and institutional racism, which has been Such a tragedy to experience in new ways again. And profound, you know, both differences and similarities to those, to the intertwining tragedies, really.
2: Right, right. And I mean, the fact that, you know, a good number of people infected in the U.S. were people of color, you know, African-American or Latino, uh, shows, I mean, it talks about this twin lockdown, I think, uh, uh, powerfully.
1: Different communities around the world uh, respond theologically, pastorally, in such different ways to tragedies like these. And I was struck by a colleague recently who observed that some communities move toward lament and other communities, even in times of great distress, seem to move toward um, buoyant, almost defiant celebration and joy in the face of this. what are some of the, the texts, some of the songs, some of the the themes that you find the Christian community in Bethlehem, you know, reaching to, toward in a year like this? Any particular things come to mind there?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, what comes to mind are a few texts. I think, you know, one, one issue was here within the Christian, but also the Muslim community. Is it possible to skip Worship on mm. on Friday or on Sunday. and I think in this context, uh, the words of Jesus that the Sabbath was made for man, I'm not sure what is gender sensitive for yeah. humanity for the human, uh, and not the other way around uh, uh, for me was an important text when I was interviewed you know on TV, on radio, I used to quote, this first because that is important and there is there is a similar first it 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 sounds different but within the islamic community so it was also for me important to quote that one Uh, this is one the other thing i think was especially you know we have a a big program with with older adults Mm -hmm. who are the most vulnerable and for them, for example, it was important to work with, with Psalms, like Psalms 91, that talks about pandemics and uh, God protection at times of the pandemic. So, so, so that was, you know, giving people confidence, helping them fo- that the faith can really uh, strengthen their morale, etc., was another important text. Mm. Um, And uh, a third text was, I guess, had to do with uh, loving your neighbor and what does loving the neighbor means in a context like this by really protecting your neighbor by taking the right precaution, etc. One last thing I would like to mention because, you know, this is something that we are dealing with right now. It's how to, to strengthen the idea of, of a responsible, I mean, responsibility. Because I, I, I feel when dealing with people, there were uh, two, two positions that are really dangerous, two extremes. You had some people who were totally underplaying the pandemic, saying, you know, it's like a flu. I'm not talking now about President Trump. Okay, so I'm talking about people here. Okay. And there were also the other people who were really panicking. Yeah. And so how to how to help people really discern that can we, uh, I mean, we have really to be responsible. We have to, you know, wash our hands, put, uh, you know, with, with the students. Now, when we are back in campus, this has been yesterday and today, and the day before, you know, our discussion uh, also with the staff, how can we help our students reach that level where they are responsible, they can take care of themselves and from the others without underplaying or overplaying the pandemic by and 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 how science and faith uh, actually are integrated and belong together. And we don't need to play one against the other because within the Orthodox Church, for example, there was a huge debate. You know, for the Greek Orthodox, uh, when they take communion, the priest put the bread in the cup and then with with a spoon, he put that in the mouth of everyone and he uses the same spoon for a thousand people, one after the other. Mm. You know, the priests were saying, we cannot change this, this is this is it, we have been doing this for 2,000 years, no way we can change it, and many of the young Orthodox people were saying, you know, this is nonsense, I mean, you know, and so within this discussion, really the relationship between faith and science, it yes. came up.
1: Well, that sounds so much like discussions here not only in institutions, congregations, universities, but also in in neighborhoods and community centers, those very same dynamics, very very much the case, absolutely.
0: You are listening to Public Worship and the Christian Life, Conversations for the Journey, a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Check out our website at worship.calvin.edu for resources related to this topic and many other aspects of public worship.
1: I recall, Mitri, that when you were at the Calvin Symposium on Worship several years ago, we had a discussion about intercessory prayer and ways that we could pray for each other. And I still remember very vividly your advice and guidance to those of us in North America not just to pray for peace in the Middle East, but to pray for peace and justice in the Middle East. What a uh, profound invitation that was. And it it makes me think again about the significance of of how we pray in public, and especially how we do that as a transnational body of believers. And so recalling that memory of your time with us, I wanted to follow up and ask you, what have you been thinking and practicing? And uh, what additional thoughts do you have about how we can be praying for each other transnationally, but not in ways that unwittingly perpetuate approaches, attitudes, underlying ideologies that really aren't consonant with the gospel?
2: Yeah, thank you. This is, uh, you know, uh, one of the most powerful prayers and worship uh, I experienced during the pandemic was a prayer that was put together by the Procter Conference. I'm not sure if you are familiar oh, yeah. with the Proctor That's Conference. Yeah. yeah, an African-American, very powerful, prophetic, really, group of people. And you know they, they are every day doing a prayer during the pandemic. They call it, I think, Prandemic. Mm. And uh, so they asked me to do one of these prayers. And I did it, and I felt that was, I mean, the people who were on Zoom were all in tears because uh, we could connect the dots through the prayer, uh, the systemic injustice that African-Americans are experiencing and the systemic injustice that Palestinians are experiencing under Israeli occupation. And in addition to the pandemic, this was, for me, Maybe one of the most powerful prayers that we had. Another uh, moment, uh, such a powerful moment, was with gigantic blast in Lebanon. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I saw it on, on, almost immediately, uh, and I, I sent a call for a prayer within like five minutes from the blast. It was interesting to see... Uh, how many people in the world were responding to that call for prayer. Even before the Lebanese were able to ask for prayers, we from Palestine sent that out. Uh, And I felt, again, that showed, you know, this transnational community united in prayer on a very specific cause at all at one time. Uh, I mean, you know, with the... With the social media, with the, with the new media, there are now new possibilities and, and ideas that I think are there just to be uh, unlocked.
1: Absolutely. Indeed. Yes, thank you. As you uh, think ahead, and you've mentioned already that it will take several months for the tourism industry to you know, return, But what do you, what do you see as the church there looks ahead? The Christian community looks ahead. In what ways do you think the Christian community and and perhaps worship practices too may be in some ways permanently changed by aspects of this experience? And are there certain things that you, you hope we retain that are, that are different perhaps than just returning to what we had been experiencing?
2: Yeah, I mean, what would be the new normal, basically? Yeah. I'm not sure, but but I'm I'm confident that it will be, I mean, it will be different. It will not be the same. I think it will be, it will be wrong, to think we need to go back. I mean, another important quote, quote which I love and I use all the time. I used it, in fact, this week again. Is when Jesus said in Luke nine. Uh, nobody puts his or her hands on the plow and look back is not sure what the English is good for the kingdom of God or something like that. And so, I mean, there is no way to look back. So we have to look ahead and to see, and this was actually with our staff last Friday, my uh, speech to them is how can we find the opportunities within all of this mess that we are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And actually, well, as a university, we have been really looking at endless opportunities that, that are coming now that we need to adjust, we need to, to look forward, we, know, we need to move ahead rather than trying to cling to something that will be soon uh, something of the past. Uh, however, what are things from the past that we need to take with us because they are meaningful maybe now even more than before. So these are some of the issues I think we are we are struggling with. And as universities, I think we were able to find some ideas. But again, this is the mindset that we have to evolve into, into something new. It's a new era, mm-hmm. uh, and we are capable of evolving, so we should not be afraid of losing identity or something because identity is, is always something dynamic. It's not static. And if we look at, at God's journey with, with us in the last, you know, 3,000 years, we have been evolving all the time.
1: Indeed. And I'd love to follow up and ask if what particular word you might be sharing with your students I recall that you had at the university quite an emphasis in the arts there and I think about the the significant role that artistic gifts have not only in the worship life of churches but throughout culture prophetically priestly roles community building roles so what what messages are you especially eager to convey to to your students in the arts but but then also to students in other contexts
2: I think that the most important thing right now is is how to develop this, uh, this, I would say, art of not being overwhelmed with the pandemic. You know, I mean, yesterday I was talking to a dear friend from Lebanon. You know, she used to be the most active, the most uh, optimistic person. Uh, a dear friend, she's a theologian, she's an artist and so on. And you know, I mean, she was devastated. I mean, with what happened in Lebanon, uh, they they don't see any more light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, today, just an hour ago, they had another blast there in Lebanon, and it wasn't as awful as the other one, but it's still awful enough. And so, how can we, how can we encourage? People, I think that, I mean, let me put it differently. I, what I told my friend is that uh, I guess the most important art needed right now is resilience. Mm. I mean, there were times when we were uh, talking about resistance. There was other, other times when we were talking about hope. I think right now, in this time, uh, the theme is really resilience. Uh, and how to de- build, how to build resilient communities. I think that, that for me that is the topic right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Mitri, I'm profoundly grateful for your time today, for your insights, and for the you know in, the inspiration that you've provided, including through many of your recent writings, but but also the instruction you've provided. It's a ministry of teaching and encouragement. And on behalf of so many of us in Grand Rapids, but throughout the United States, I want to offer a word of deep gratitude to you. Thank you. May God bless you. And may God bless all of us with both peace and justice in fuller measure uh, through the Spirit. So thank you today.
0: Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit our website at worship.calvin.edu. To learn more about the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, an interdisciplinary study and ministry center dedicated to the scholarly study of the theology, history, and practice of Christian worship, and the renewal of worship in worshiping communities across North America and beyond.